Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Scott LaFoy. Scott wrote me and said that um, he is in the business of analyzing imagery from uh, foreign countries in order to like determine security models and security threats and things. Um, his Twitter is is very interesting to follow, uh, especially if you're interested in, I don't know, like missiles or North Korea launching them. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty crazy. And uh, he gets into how that job affects um, the way that he has played Dark Souls and Bloodborne, which I think is super interesting. So enjoy the episode, everyone. I've really enjoyed actually like the occasional episodes where uh, like they're, they've been like backlogged or something mm-hmm. and so they're like really time relevant for a very specific time in like Souls history like <laughs> you know it'll be like the Dark Souls 3 commercials just dropped or something and so it's excited about that it's like this really nice refresher for that time that's now gone <laughs> yeah we, we've done that with the uh, like DLC like um, oh yeah I want to say the episode I recorded with Aegon was uh, the day the DLC came out and me and him were both still pretty excited about it because we hadn't finished it yet <laughs> so <laughs> there's this whole like I love this anticipation stream throughout a number of episodes where it's just like, no, From Software does their DLC perfect. I know the the Dark Souls DLC three DLC is going to be great, and then there's just this cut, and they're just like, we're not talking about the Ring City or Ashes or Ashes Dale on this show anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, the uh, man Krusty just didn't make it, man. That's the that's. You know, it's a shame to kind of go out yep. on that. I know a lot of people really like that DLC, and it, it. I think it's good for what it is. It's just not really what I was really into. So, yeah, that's I. That's how I felt. Is I got sort of like seventy five percent of the way through it, and I was like, oh, this is a pretty cool lead up. I bet this is gonna. Nope, this doesn't, <laughs> doesn't never really do much. And then the Ring City was just like, hey, what if we ironically punch you in the face for like sixteen hours and make you kind of like face what you like least about these games I yeah know. i can I, ring city. just it's just so frustrating yeah what was your like were you like what what's, what's your what's your kind of origin story when it comes to souls games whereas was dark souls 3 like one of your first games or did you start way back when no so i uh so i've always really liked reading about video games mm-hmm. like i i really liked getting like video game magazines when i was uh like a kid and through high school and even a little bit in college and then college budgeting meant that that stopped. Um, but I liked reading about how, you know, new systems were being introduced in new novel video games. And so I was first introduced, uh, to the series via reading about demon souls and the ghost system. Um, now, you know, we all call it the bloodstain system, but I think at the time it was still being called like ghosts or spirits or something, the asymmetric, uh, semi-multiplayer aspect of the just the ghost's last few seconds of life being recorded for you so that when you're, you know, walking down a hallway, you click on it and a person, you know, clearly just gets demolished by something you can't see and now you know you need to be suspicious. Um, but at the time, I didn't have a PS3, so it was just sort of reading about this weird Japanese game that, like, people were importing and was finally coming to the West. Uh, then a couple years later, I... I uh, saved up for a PS3 um, and tried playing through Demon Souls because I think at the time Dark Souls wasn't even out. 
Okay. And then I got to the armor spider, of all things. Uh, and then I stopped playing Demon Souls for uh, several years. Because <laughs> um, apparently it was armored against fun at the time. And uh. it just was too much. Because um, it's, it's sort of the normal thing. Like, I did not know how to play Demon Souls. It didn't click. It was very different. Um, I was big into... I guess at the time I would be big into Oblivion. Uh, would have been the the proper Elder Scrolls to mark that with, um, okay. and big into like strategy games, and so just not really this very uh, deliberate sword and board type thing. And I had no idea how the magic system worked, so that was just out. That was not an option. <laughs> uh, it turns out that was maybe the secret for part of the armor spider, if I remember correctly. Um, and so I sort of bounced off it for a couple years. Uh, I didn't sell it back or anything, so I, I, it was always in the back of my shelf. Uh, and then Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition on the PC went on some bizarrely good sale really early in its lifespan on Amazon. Weird. And okay, so, cool. Yeah, it was like, I think it, it dropped fairly significantly, or it was just always a low-priced game, but I don't think that's the case. It's a little hard to remember. Um and my roommate and I at the time, or I bought a copy of it just because the Bartholomew trailer is one of the best pieces of advertising <laughs> that, like, any Namco adjacent property has ever come up with. Those um, uh, those silent comedy trailers for Dark Souls One were so fucking good. Like, I they, I, I love all of them. It's to the point where, like, I now have like some silent comedy CDs. Like, they same, really, yeah. But I have that. Like, I have that album where a lot of those uh, songs come from. <laughs> it's so good, and I. It it always drove me a little crazy because clearly when Bloodborne came out, or even when Dark Souls Two came out, they knew that was something smart. It's just they never like quite recaptured it perfectly. And I was surprised when I found out the um, the Bloodborne one they. Uh, what was it? They they uh, contracted that one to have a song just for Bloodborne, didn't they? The I'm Gonna Hunt You Down? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I hadn't heard that. I'll have to look, go look that up. I think so, because it's, it's something weird. It's sort of like that, uh, do you know, uh, what's the name of it? Two Steps From Hell? Mm-hmm. That It's like a band that, I, I may have this totally wrong, um, but I my understanding is that they just sort of contract like epic trailer and movie style music. Um, and so it's just sort of like, hey, if you need a Hans Zimmerman sounding like epic thing, we can just make that. It's sort of generic, but we can make that. And that for Bloodborne, they did a similar thing. And it just screams to me that they sat them down with the Bartholomew trailer and like a bunch of keywords like Hunter and Saul. <laughs> and we're just like, can you do this? Can you make, a, can you make one good. like this? <laughs> yeah, Bartholomew, super good. All Saints Day, pretty good. Uh, what was the name of the... like? dry bones or whatever for dark souls 2 pretty good but we need yeah. to how do we fix this i, I thought um, the uh pixies dark souls 2 trailer was pretty pretty bad though <laughs> when they ooh, did the yeah. uh um I don't, I don't i forget the name of the song it's always the one that comes up in fight club or trailers or, or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> it also i i thought it hurt dark souls 2 because dark souls 2 ended up being so bright in a weird way like mm-hmm. We all had the expectation for that lighting engine in the trailer. A couple of those trailers came out, and it was just really like uh, very bright looking to me compared to Dark Souls One, where it's just like, oh, light cannot escape the plot of this game. Uh, so, but yeah, so 
I guess the the that was a really roundabout way of saying I got the Prepare to Die edition on PC a while back, and it sucked me in like immediately. Uh, like by the time I finished the Undead Asylum, I was talking to my roommate where I was like, "No, you need to do this. This is a thing you would love. This is this is an an important dense game." <laughs> What was it about? What was it like? If because by the time you get out of the asylum, you, you've barely really scratched the surface and haven't really seen anything. Was it just did the combat finally click? Were you in a better place in your in your video game career to be patient with it, or what, what do you think it was? I think that it's it's sort of everything at once. It goes into the whole like flawed masterpiece idea of Dark Souls, where the first thing that got me was the aesthetic, where I was like, this is just really the ruin design on the asylum and the design of the enemies and especially the first uh, the asylum demons like the design is something i really like and everywhere every time i entered a new area it just sort of reinforced that idea that this is a game who knows its aesthetic choices and sometimes they're real weird but they mesh together in this really attractive way uh despite the fact that i couldn't figure out the combat and then very slowly the combat was beaten into me and then i was like well this has a really solid feel to it as well, so it's nice that the aesthetic sort of works together with the like, kinematics of the game. And then I started discovering that there was a secret plot hidden throughout <laughs> everything, and then I was just like, okay, this someone had to have accidentally make, made this work so well together, because I can't imagine this being deliberately set so well. Um, so it's sort of all the things, but not all at once. Sure. So kind of slowly but surely congealed for you until you were like, yes, this this is the game that I've always wanted to play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, much to the chagrin of other action games. <laughs> yeah, it's real easy once you get into the, the Souls games to um, just completely ignore all other video games. Like, even even now, like, I'll, I'll see somebody playing Bloodborne and I'm like, I could just put down, like, this giant stack of games that I just bought and then play more Bloodborne. That's, that seems like a logical thing I should do. <laughs> it's a real good way to save money because then it's, it's you know if you're gaming on a budget i could pay five dollars for 600 games on the humble bundle or i could just once again go back and hit that chalice sure of course <laughs> what was the clicking point for you in dark souls one like when was the moment that you kind of you felt like the first time that you were really um not necessarily controlling the game but that you just actually clicked with the game that you understood exactly what you were doing and you were trying to and you were executing it well I feel like that's two different answers. Executing it well enough was probably the parish where I was like, okay, I, I get I get that I'm going to lose a lot, but I kind of understand what's being done here. Um, so even if, like, I, it took me forever to figure out parries, for example. That's a late game thing for me. But, like, I got the idea and I got sort of the strategy, even if I didn't get the tactics. Um, I don't know if I ever actually figured out what was all going on. Um, I feel like those were two different <laughs> concepts entirely. Um, and it took pretty... I feel like when you hit uh, post Orenstein and Smo is when sort of everything clicked at once. And I was just like, okay, I I got it now. Because um, that's also where I started running into a little bit of trouble and had to read up on like the Tomb of Giants and how to survive certain <laughs> endgame areas. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can only imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was your uh, what was your build? Were you just straight up sword and board at that point, or were you doing magic or what? Uh, yeah, it was sword and. So I I started with uh, I think you call it on the show the jackass of all trades, where I was like, hey, I, I bet I could do a little bit of intelligence and do well. And it turns out the more you boost the intelligence, the dumber your character build is if you're mainly focusing on axes. Um, so tried that. Um, 
got the Titanite catchpole really early. Like, that's one of the first, like, unique weapons I got. So I tried to put my build around that because it was really sharp looking in a really mm-hmm. cool way. Um, which, like, there's a reason that weapon didn't make it into the other games. Uh, it's it's fun. It's maybe not the best way to build one of your early characters. Um, so I focused on sort of that and then uh, basically just a Zweihander and the... Um, What's that shield? The red shield? The blood? Oh my god! The Spider blood shield. shield. No, nope. they. Uh, it's like blood. Oh my god! I'm just googling blood shield. <laughs> oh my god! It's called the blood shield. It is called it the, is blood. the blood. Oh, that's uh, yeah, the one that prevents. Uh, that gives you a whole lot of extra bleed resistance. Yeah, and mm-hmm. every time you equip it, it looks like your character just got like wrecked by someone's yeah, status yeah. hacking for a few seconds. Um. So yeah, mainly sh- uh, sword and board. Spent a lot of time slowly creeping through the early parts of the game, um, and then slowly getting over that as I sort of realized the efficiency in the game is not having enough stamina to absorb everything. It's having enough stamina to dodge everything. Gotcha. Um, so then, uh, then, yeah. then you started playing without a shield and completely naked, right? Like everybody does. Oh, but like actually, <laughs> yeah. So like my my first character on Dark Souls One has. Like uh, the gargoyle helmet, Ornstein's armor, um, the red skirt cloak thing for pants, and the blood shield. And then, like, the version of that character for, like, New Game Plus has, like, the crystal helmet, Havel's gloves. I'm sure he does have pants, but I don't remember what they were. Um, And then just, like, whatever the heaviest, like, demon machetes I could get were, and just rolls around being a nuisance. (laughs) Um, so yeah, exactly. That was the exact progression. Very nice. How? What? Where were you at when you started putting putting together the story? Uh, you mentioned that, like, you kind of started figure, seeing the glimpses of that of a hidden plot line that goes throughout this game. And how far along were you down the path before you started putting putting the pieces together? Uh, I think Ornstein and Smo were sort of the big turning point when I started figuring out that something's weirds going on, um, because I started reading up a little bit and incidentally came across some of the Gwendolyn plotline on uh, the Wikidot site. Mm-hmm. And I was like, now wait a second here. There's something funky going on. And a bunch of these items descriptions indicate that like someone is lying to me somewhere. Uh, and then slowly kind of figuring out that the game has at a minimum two distinct plot lines, both of which are about lying to you. Uh, so you never know which one's right. But I'd say about Ornstein and Smo uh, is about that. I didn't really have like a moment of revelation. It was more this like creeping feeling after that that something was up. Nice. Did you yeah. were you kind of like into it? Like you saw those little glimpses and did you go seek out like the extra content, like the, the Vatis of the world and the epic name bros of the oh, world? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I, I get really into that. Um the uh I I mentioned this in the, the emails earlier, but so I, I work in like satellite imagery analysis. Okay. Um, for like think tanks and stuff. And so a lot of my job involves finding these really minute details and seeing what, what you can extrapolate from them. Like if you can reasonably extrapolate data from that, what that data means, and then sort of collating that in this larger picture of like institutions and organizations and international actors and whatnot. So the idea that this game essentially was hiding like weapons that had 
little bits of data in them that you had to figure out if that data was accurate, figure out if what you could pull from it, and then try to figure out the motivations of characters from what's written on their shield. Um, like that's that's sort of what I do professionally sometimes. So that that clicked really really well with me, and especially when it hits um, Bloodborne, that really clicked with me because Bloodborne ends up being sort of this competition between institutions mm-hmm. uh, where like I feel like Dark Souls a lot of its uh, a lot of its plot is kind of character driven so you know you have a lot of like Gwyns or the royal families wherein Bloodborne you have like a church versus like a workshop and like a school and these hunters who have this weird security contractor relationship that mirrors how real-world contracting kind of works sometimes in a very bizarre way. (laughs) Uh, Like, I I find German's plot maybe the most uh, compelling just because, like, as far as I could tell, it's like, oh, there was a student for this school or someone affiliated with it. He had a very specific skill set, so he spun himself off from the school, started an independent company, and then contracted his unique services, presumably for a higher price, uh, to Bergenworth. Like, well, that's literally how contracting with the government works sometimes. <laughs> People spin themselves <laughs> off and start companies. That's incredible. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I was like, this, this, is, this is someone else who lives in D.C. in, like, a really bad way, though. <laughs> I don't think anybody on this podcast in, in well over 100 episodes has described <laughs> Bloodborne like, like the government, like we're contracting for the government. That is great. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I leaned over to my wife at one point when I was playing it, and I was like, I'm playing a contractor simulator. Like, this is how Blackwater got started. German's an awful person. Like, it's <laughs> just very interesting dynamics. So when you're playing, I know, I know you were playing Dark Souls 1 a little bit behind the curve, so like a lot of those resources were available. Uh, I'm assuming yes. that with Dark Souls 2 or with Bloodborne that you jumped in kind of with the community. And so were you yes. tr- were you trying to figure some of that stuff out yourself? Like did you have a, a bunch of red yarn and some, and some thumbtacks trying to piece it all together? <laughs> <laughs> yes, basically. Um, I got really into sort of the, I didn't really have, a, I don't really have an online presence for Dark Souls stuff. Um, so most of it was offline with uh, my roommate who was also obsessed with uh, Dark Souls at the time. Uh, and it was just basically like us sitting down and trying to figure out every time we opened something else being like, do you think the old Iron King may have a relationship with Gwyn? How terrible would it be on New Game Plus if it turned out it was Gwyn's soul though? Uh, so yeah, there was, I, I get really excited about that before the community has figured stuff out, but I love watching as the community does discover things as well. Yeah. I also think it's fun to do like blind playthroughs. Um, so it's a nightmare for me when like Bloodborne comes out and for various reasons, I have to take like a two month break and I'm like, well, no internet for me. <laughs> I, I, I can't go on YouTube because these people will put like, Hey, Ibridus boss fight, the secret boss fight in the upper chain, uh, in the upper cathedral ward, a secret area. Like, oh, thanks. That was, thank you for that. Now I know. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, just basically telling me that there's a an upper upper cathedral ward, and b there's a boss there that I have to fight. Yeah, <clears throat> and like Dark Souls three was awful with that, where I, if if I remember correctly, there was pretty quickly. YouTube videos up that were like, final boss, soul of cinder. I'm like, well, damn it, guys, don't do that. It was, uh, like, it was especially egregious because Namco gave access to most of the game to popular yeah. streamers and YouTubers about a month before the game came out, which 
Like, I, I get that. Like, you want to build a buzz. But at the same time, um, there's a former guest on the show, LT. He was just watching what he thought was a PvP stream of uh, a popular <laughs> uh, streamer. And, like, he was, of course, the big one of the big PvP covenants is in Anor Londo. So, like, I remember him tweeting, like, I just had this huge spoiler because I thought I was, I was safe on a PvP stream. But, nope. <laughs> huge huge oh. story spoiler. And, yeah. you know, that having those kind of surprises taken away from you because Namco, you know, is trying to build a buzz or whatever is really frustrating. Yeah. That now that you mention it, that was the thing I was thinking of as a YouTube video that had on Orlando in the title. And I was just like, you're kidding me. Like, cause then that the Irithil reveal for on Orlando is pretty decent. Would've oh, it's great. Nice like the, the moment you, yeah. you start climbing up there and you're like silver archers, giant arrows. This is, this this looks like something, and then you start getting into you go into that tomb, and you're like, "Hold up, I know hey, what is I've this bridge?" Yeah, and then you literally walking into you know the the castle in Orlando, and where you fought Ornstein and Smo, and I think for most Souls players, like they've gone into that area hundreds and hundreds of times, whether it was to on multiple builds or helping people or mm-hmm. just trying to beat Ornstein and Smo for the first time, and so seeing that as such a surprise and in the flesh is like, what is this doing here? What does this mean? But like, I can only imagine, um, I think one of my buddies, uh, Cliff, I want to say he, uh, bought the collector's edition and they just had Anna Orlando on the map. Which Jesus. I guess like more fool him for looking at the map ahead of time or whatever. But at the same time, like, it seems like it, you shouldn't even have that on the map, but <laughs> what are you, you doing? Have, it's like sort of a secret. Yeah. Like, I mean, can I, Oh my gosh, that's so frustrating. Especially cause like you'd never think that because based on the previous maps we've gotten with like dark souls two, that if you can spoil something using the dark souls two map, you're a much smarter person than I. Cause I can't figure out like anything from that. That's infuriating. Um, Man, that it's was funny such a that, good um, reveal, though. They they have these maps that they make, and that, and I'm 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 a map nerd, like like a lot of dudes mm-hmm. that like fantasy games, and fantasy books, and things like that. Like that's you, oh. know, you come up reading fantasy books and like squinting at the paperback copy of the map <laughs> that the the author drew in the front of the book. But um, it's they're so useless. <laughs> like they're not. Yeah. I, I mean, like there's not even anything kind of relatable to them to the games. It's just like a piece of paper with like some some cities named on it or whatever. And I'm like, okay, that's. I don't know. I don't know for whatever reason. Like any of the maps that I've seen for for Dark Souls, uh, just has not worked for me. Or Bloodborne for that matter. No. Like none of that stuff really works for me. No, only fan made maps are like even entertaining. Like I remember Dark Souls One had that god awful like it looked like it was badly photoshopped screenshots with like dragon written on it, um, <laughs> where it showed like like it just showed the parish. It, it showed like the surface world, which is cool and like. I like that because it makes the world look really small. And then it's like, well, surprise, you need the vertical map. And we just didn't make those. Um, as opposed to Dark Souls 2, where they literally just could have mailed that rock from the house out. And it would have been equally as useful. Like, that... Ugh. Yeah, they're not good at maps. Um, they're not. The fan map of Bloodborne is fantastic, though. That, like, penciled-in one where they they worked out the accurate game map, but also laid it onto like a mountainous terrain into what it would look like. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the, the Bloodborne like collector's edition strategy guide or whatever you wanted to call it, that hardback like strategy guide was so amazing. And so like, well done. Like it was just so over the top and great. Yeah. I feel like that they really like, they really figured out the charm of dark souls one again with that game in a way that was weirdly absent from their other properties. Like, yeah, it's it's 
I've said it before in this podcast. The true trilogy to me isn't Dark Souls one, two, and three. It's Demons, Dark, and Bloodborne. Like the there's a yep. pretty clear line of progression there, and you can get into some um, like you can go back deeper too. Like if you like a lot of people attribute Demon Souls as being like the the first Souls game or whatever, and it is, but it still took a lot of its influence from you know the Shadow Towers and the Kingsfield of the world. Uh, yeah. So it's, but to me, like this this over the shoulder third person stamina based you know kind of clunky combat even not necessarily in bloodborne but that the evolution of that started with demons and went through bloodborne and dark souls 3 kind of feels just like a weird offshoot of that like it's not a bad game at all but after bloodborne i just and I, I, it's hard to go I, back. Repeat, I just repeat myself all the time on this podcast now but like after the transforming weapons in bloodborne like going back to just a standard sword was like okay cool i guess oh yeah weapon arts felt really like lacking after that like anytime i if i ever like turn on bloodborne and then go to dark souls 3 it's the same thing where i'm like why am i slow and have like all this wood on my arm and why (laughs) does my metal not shift like this is ridiculous also i i enjoy bloodborne because it feels like an armored core game to me but like a fast armored core game what's your what's your Uh, history with the armored core series uh, negligible and bad. Okay. Uh, the arm, like, the, I really, Armored Core is another good example of a game I really enjoy reading about because it, the complexities of the systems are pretty impressive. Um, and like I have the, uh, some of the older ones for PSP and I think I have one of the ones for PS3. So like I have, I actually do have a little bit of experience with it, mm-hmm. but man, that, those games shift between like interestingly designed mech tactic system and like you know of course the games are secretly just about building a cool robot and figuring out different situations and builds and whatnot um and then incomprehensible trash heap mess that like i just can't figure out how to play um but i enjoy like i enjoy trying and failing which maybe that's why i like the dark souls series as a whole mm-hmm. um so I, I every now and then I'll try and, and hit my head against Armored Core, but I, I always bounce off of it and end up you know, reading more about it because it's just such an interesting set of systems. But Bloodborne always felt to me like a fast Armored Core, just in the sense of you're sort of hovering when you jump around, um, especially once you start getting like the later, uh, what do you call it, the Hunter's Bone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that thing is quick awesome. Quick step thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I always got the feeling of just, like, a mech moving around with multiple weapon options bolted to its arms when you can, you know, transform your weapons and whatnot. So I always felt like I was curious if there was a test run for an Armored Core game being floated with Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, I'm, I'm really curious about the so-called, uh, this rumored Armored Core game that they've pretty much all but confirmed that they've come out yeah. with because it seems like it's going to be the first game under under Miyazaki's um, handle as president of, of From Software. So I'm curious, like, how... Like, are they going to do the Bloodborne to Dark Souls as, you know, for this Armored Core game? Like, are they going to refine it down and make it a little bit more accessible than it has been in the past? Or are they going to keep that same spirit? Like, I'm, I'm really just fascinated with that idea of what they're going to do because as a From Software fan, uh, it's actually kind of hard to play those those Armored Core games. And, but, I, mm-hmm. but, but also, I want to, so... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I have no idea. I I hope they do well with it. Um, I'm a little, I am just a little skeptical because I feel like I don't know how they could boil it down to Bloodborne because I feel like if you take away some of the complexity of the systems, that's just Mech Warrior. Um, 
and I'm sure there are Mech Warrior players who are like super dedicated and they're super angry right now because I've never played Mech Warrior and that's just like <laughs> a slanderous opinion about Mech Warrior. But... I think I bought a upgrade to Windows ninety five so I could play Mech Warrior like two or something. Like it was <laughs> something ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I, I'm a big Mech Warrior fan, but I haven't played any of the modern stuff. So oh, so you're the one who's going to be angry at my slander? Oh no, not at, all. Not, not at all. I think um, <laughs> Mech games like people that like Mech games usually like all mech games or they have like one particular style of mech game that they they want to play so it's just one it's just trying to figure yeah. out I, I wouldn't want to try to play to that fan base at all so. yeah because a lot of mech games i mean like what was it hawken came out a couple years ago and there's man that's going to show my in touchness with the mech game genres i think there's been a bunch since then but like a lot of mech games to me feel like they just end up being deliberate slow shooters they're not actually there's nothing special about the mech part of it except, you know, the sound design and the, the speed at which you play. Whereas, like, Armored Core and, to some degree, Mech Warrior, from what I understand, are sort of mercenary management sims that happen to be robots. Mm-hmm. Um, since, like, you know, Armored Core, you come back from missions and it's like, well, you know, this paid 10,000 units, but you really, really shouldn't just walk into a fire for six minutes at the beginning of the mission because that did 12,000 units worth of damage to you. So you're actually, even though you won, you're coming out in the red from this contract and you decided to cosplay as Gundam Heavy Arms. So it costs you 32,000 units in ammunition to play this round. What are you doing with your life? We're now bankrupt and the game is over. (laughs) And so you can essentially have like a mech game that ends in bankruptcy, which is just a very odd fail condition for a game that's meant to be sort of an advertised as like an action man, like an action, um, I don't know, adventure shooter. Like I would love if there was, you know, a sequel to Bloodborne where you were not a sequel to Bloodborne, but like a spiritual sequel where you managed your hunter's workshop and your little hunter team, but you know, you mess that up too much and you've gone bankrupt and have to be bought out by the church. Like, like the like a like a dungeon master game, but it, with Bergenworth instead of like actually building a dungeon. Oh, I'm gonna go back and say now I do want this again. I do want this thing. I want them to make this thing. Uh, I, I I think it'd be really interesting to explore not with just Bloodborne, but the with the Dark Souls. Maybe not characters, but a lot of the aesthetic and a lot of the things like in different game genres. Um, the, oh, absolutely. The, 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 the jokey one that I've always heard and um, that always cracks me up is the Dark Souls dating game where you can finally date Solera. <laughs> uh, but I think those like management sim games uh, would like it. It wouldn't be really true to the spirit of the games. I think it would lose something. But also, I think it would be fun. Like, and that's that's sometimes more, even more important. So, especially with Bloodborne, yeah. because like you could just like. Imagine like having to dig a chalice dungeon to get your abritus so that you could put it in the workshop so that you could like develop your weird ass technology and so that you could research the boom hammer or whatever. I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably crossing the streams as far as the lore goes, but you know what I'm saying? Like it'd be weird to do that kind of stuff. Isn't that the plot of um uh uh what was it like shop management sim RPG? There's a game like this where you you do manage like a shop and are trying to equip heroes who go into an infinite dungeon and then you develop your shop based on that? I yeah, um, I, I don't remember the name of it, but it's uh, it is it is definitely one of those where you play the um, you, yeah you play the the guys that's outfitting the heroes, not necessarily the yeah. heroes themselves. Uh, oh, that's gonna bug me. I'll try to if I if I figure it out if it comes to me, I'll, I'll throw it in the show notes. Sweet. Yeah, I think that'd be a great like. Uh, I think there is a lot of potential for as much as I would hate to ever say this in a place where like Namco could ever hear it. I think side games would be pretty interesting actually. Um, but 
I've also seen them run those into the ground, so I don't, I don't know. I always thought uh, with Dark Souls 1, uh, this would be heresy, but I thought, uh, um, of all things, a cart game would be kind of fun. <laughs> Have you seen that like, image that always rolls around and anytime yes. Sony does an announcement, the, the Bloodborne cart racing? Because that's, <laughs> that's great. Would totally... I'd, I, I'd be a sucker for that. Because, I mean, like, you know, what was it? Sonic Unleashed Transformed Deluxe Edition, whatever, was actually pretty decent. Uh, obviously, Mario Kart's still the gold standard, but, like, kind of having a little cutesy Law Trek, throwing, like, boomerang showtells at people would mm-hmm. be pretty, pretty entertaining. Just because of the, like, you'd have to lean into the dissonance of that world. Like, you'd really have to lean into the fact that this is a grotesque thing turned into a cute cart game and just, like, embrace it for what it is and roll into how disturbing things are going to get. Uh, <laughs> but I think I think that'd be pretty fun, actually. I'm really surprised that uh, Namco hasn't pulled those characters for, you know, their, their, their weird crossover games where they have, like, whatever fighting game that Namco has. Like, I'm really surprised that um, Solaire hasn't showed up in, like, a Tekken game, right? Or a Soul Calibur yeah. game. Yeah. I think Link has even shown up in a Soul Calibur game, and Link doesn't show up in anything because Nintendo keeps them under lock and key. I mean, uh, like, like the, the Soul Calibur got weird for a while too, because like they had Spawn yep. in, in <laughs> Soul Calibur, like twenty years after Dark- Spawn was relevant to just about anybody. <laughs> like it was really bizarre. I'm a I'm a I'm a huge Soul Calibur nerd too. Um, mm. I don't do a I don't do a podcast about it because like what are you going to really do? But uh, yeah, there's there's different versions of Soul Calibur two that came out. I'm trying to remember. Was PlayStation's? Um, it wasn't Kratos. What was? Because Spawn was wasn't Xbox. Darth Vader. No, it was Yoda, wasn't it? It was one of the. Yeah, oh, it was one of the. It. I think. I think Vader was, was in the arcade version. Okay. Then. There was because cool. there was a fourth version. I think that showed up in arcades, kind of like how Nintendo had that like F Zero was it GX FX split where there was an arcade and a GameCube version. I think Soul Calibur had an arcade one that had a fourth different character from Link, Yoda, and Spawn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, we're actually conflating two and four, because I just looked it up. Uh, Hayachi from Tekken was in two on the PlayStation, but Soul Calibur 4 is where they did Yoda, Darth Vader, and then uh, whoever the fuck Galen Merrick is. I don't, I don't know who that is. I have but, no yeah. idea what that is. Yeah, just I don't go deep on the Star Wars universe unless my, my friend Brian Wade makes me. So <laughs> that's about my limit. <laughs> Well, tell me about the kind of run-up to uh, Bloodborne, because um, it sounds like it's it's probably one of your, your favorite games in the series, and I'm curious how this like analytical-based approach that you had with the game when you kind of started cottoning onto these, these plot threads, like how did that, or did that affect the way that you were absorbing the game or playing the game at all? Uh, I, th- I think it definitely did. Like, starting to play through Bloodborne, um, especially because it was such a, like, a relatively modern setting compared to Dark Souls uh, and Demon Souls, it sort of felt more, like, familiar. Mm-hmm. Like, the human interactions set up in that are much more familiar than in Dark Souls, where, again, Dark Souls is like, what, are there? Is there a peasant class here? Is there agriculture happening? Do you peep... Like, I know you hide poop jokes in this game because that bucket exists in Dark Souls and, like, the... the what is it, the toxic pile that's made of feces that says that reminds them of being alive but like Bloodborne is a city where people live and like are living right now even though the hunt is getting pretty bad like there are people around and so that's something that like I I work with that more often and 
there are just more signs of how people live and how people interact and how groups interact. Like you learn so much about how the church manages the city just by the fact that like the great bridge may lead into the cathedral ward sometimes, but when people are paying too much attention, you can't get in. That tells you about how they manage security and how like certain parts of the city are not necessarily under quote unquote city control versus church control. If there's actually a difference between those, Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I'd say almost all of Bloodborne really spoke to sort of that side of what I look for, uh, if it, that makes sense. I don't know if that even answers your question. No, correctly. it does. It does. Because if you're, <laughs> I'm, I'm always interested in the different styles that, in the different ways people approach these games. Um, mm-hmm. I've interviewed, you know, lore guys that are, that are making tons of notes and trying to piece things together as they move through the game. And I've interviewed people that are extremely mechanics based that are like you know i don't i can completely ignore the the entire story but the the combat and the the combat engagement is what i'm here for so it's interesting to hear that like you could take this real world skill and apply it to to a game like bloodborne has has there been any other games that have that have i guess brought that out in you i'm just just out of curiosity um not as much as these because other games usually don't hide as much Mm -hmm. and so like one of the things that i think really sort of sends up the the like red flag for me to look into it is something trying to deliberately hide information um, or being like coy about that information because suddenly that information is now interesting because it's worth protecting. Um, whereas, you know, if you play, uh, man, I'm trying to think of another good action game or not. I keep calling this an action game and now I'm going to get angry. <laughs> um, I mean, Bloodborne is, is, I mean, they're all action RPGs. So I don't think it's yeah. too far off the mark to say an action game, but like it's, it it's definitely has a different feel than say an Assassin's Creed game or like uh, the yeah. modern day version of DMC or, or those kind of those kind yeah. of like pure action based games. Yeah, I, I'd say it. I guess like so. I guess the Soul series, and then I recently uh, played through Near Automata, and then uh, the Mist series, like Mist, Riven, Abduction. All those are sort of I'd say the big ones that that bring that analytic side mm-hmm. to bear because most of the time it's like, you know, I'm a big legend of Zelda fan. Legend of Zelda is not really hiding deeper lore plot points. Like every now and then, you know, there'll be some dark implication because, you know, the, you, one of the temples is hidden in a graveyard. So everything's clearly undead and be like, Ooh, big jump. Like <laughs> well played. How spooky. Um, but it's not hiding anything deliberately from you. Where Dark Souls, like, especially Dark Souls 1, where, you know, you play it out of order, you kill the four kings, and big surprise, they're hiding everything from you. Because the game is a lie, and it's about lying and manipulating you, and now you don't know who is lying and manipulating you, but you now know that all of the data you have gathered from your first playthrough of Dark Souls 1 is uh, tainted, and has to be reassessed with the framework now that you've been misled deliberately. Um, so not, not many games trigger that because they're just not, they're not hiding it as much. Yeah. Cause most game companies actually want you to experience this, this thing that they've created over hundreds of thousands of hours to, to be able to, <laughs> and they want to be, actually have see people enjoy that. Uh, we, we, it's been brought up before how, uh, interesting it is that from software and um yoko Toro is another good example of a developer that likes to hide things in their games and oh my God, is com- yeah. just comfortable enough letting the player you know stumble across that or not and you know yeah. not oh. pushing you to anything 
have you gone through near automata oh yeah yeah i've done okay most of the endings now i think um but definitely the the first five so okay that was my next question because <laughs> uh like big spoilers on near after the b ending where you know you just sort of play through new game twice with different characters uh, and I was like, oh, it's going to take us into C. It's probably just going to be playing as A2 through the same plot again, right? So I took like a couple months where I just sort of put it down because I didn't really want to play through the same plot again. And then uh, my wife and I picked it up again to sort of play through. And we were like, Jesus Christ, they hit a solid 50% of this game without telling us. <laughs> what is happening? There's a second, there's a sequel to Nier hidden in Nier. What's going on? It's uh, it's really weird. Uh, that that message that you get when you finish the first route, um, and it's like mm-hmm. from Square Enix, and it's basically like, hey, you, we, we know this is the credits, but also maybe you should keep going. <laughs> it's one of the funnier <laughs> messages. It's like, Yoko Toro was, was co- totally comfortable with you. Like, okay, yeah, you can just end it Route A if you want to. But like Square Enix was like, no, no, maybe, no. maybe just keep going just a little bit more because we want you to do this. I'd like to think, I'd like to think that he he never knew that message existed, and so like one time he was doing like quality assurance or something. He's like, "Who put this at the end of A? <laughs> Who did this? They're not supposed to know this. No, they're not. They're gonna quit, Yoko. <laughs> this is insane." I've been, um, yeah. me and some some Twitter people have been toying around with the idea of trying to do like a like a like a bonfire side chat approach to to near um, just in its own like separate podcast, and I just. As much as I love those two games, wow. uh, I just don't think that I'm smart enough to do. <laughs> it's like I've what? I've seen the the big lore people uh, on Nier, and I've seen those those really long, lengthy videos going back to Dragon Guard and all of that. And I'm yeah. just like intimidated as hell by all of it. Although I did just buy Nier, it got um, I guess Square Enix had some copies or something, so I just went ahead and bought it because it was relatively rare for <laughs> a while. A, yeah, one of the last five copies of Nier Gestalt in the world. Um, that's crazy. That would be a very, very difficult podcast to put together, but it'd be fascinating. Yeah, uh, with all of the weird extra, um, me- you know, media that was developed around the game that explains things in the game, like the um, on the YouTube for the a stage while. Stage play. I'm sorry. Uh, I was sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Mm, I, um, oh. you just broke up a little bit. I thought you were trying to say something. My bad. Oh no, no worries. On uh, on YouTube for a while, they had a uh, like the full concert of them performing the concert live, and actors, the voice actors for Two B and Nine S would like come out and like read this like crazy play that Yoko Toro has written that's supposed to have some <laughs> effect. And the YouTube version was just straight Japanese; like I didn't understand any of it. I was just watching it for the music, but uh, you can buy the Blu-ray of that that supposedly has English subs. So I'm like really excited to, to <laughs> listen to that and to watch it. So. I can you? I cannot. Can you just imagine if there was like a, a a Dark Souls 2.5 that's supposed to take place that connects Dark Souls 2 and 3 a little better, but it was only done in operatic theater in German. Like, <laughs> what the heck? That's the, that is the craziest side thing I've ever heard is, upon beating Nier Automata, the list of stuff you should review if you want to understand the plot. Mm-hmm. And then learning that I needed to, to pick Japanese back up and listen to a play. Yeah. That's bonkers, man. How did he get... I assume Square Enix funded that. That means he had to at some point submit that. Who knows how that works? Man, that's crazy. I just can't... Like, Can you imagine being a supervisor at Square Enix and being like, we just got a funding request from Yoko Taro for a stage play where everyone's like kind of lolly goth dressed and it's a little weird, but... 
I don't know what to do because like it's not like Nier was particularly <laughs> profitable before this. Like that's a pretty big gamble to make. It it really is. But um, but this isn't. Don't give up Android. So we probably should stop talking about Nier, <laughs> even though I could, <laughs> even though I could definitely do that for another hour if I wanted to. Um, tell me about your experience with with Dark Souls Three. Um, obviously you're you're a huge fan of Bloodborne. Uh, what was it like, kind of following the lead up of that game and then finally getting your hands on it? Well, they definitely should have released Bloodborne after Dark Souls 3, because man, did that ever generate such excitement for what 3 was going to be, and then 3 was good, but it certainly wasn't the the crazy masterpiece that I see Bloodborne as, Um, because it just felt, it was, I got tired of the references and the callbacks really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them I really enjoyed, um, and then other of them were just like... Hey, do you remember the Onion Knight? Like, he was really cool, right? What if we just hang out with him some more? <laughs> and I just didn't, like... It was less of, like, a clever integration of a previous thing and much more of a, yes, we enjoyed this thing, let's spend a little more time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it also felt like it suffered from... <clears throat> I actually think... I, I feel like all of the Dark Souls games, except Bloodborne, feel like this to me is that they were sort of like four games before they came out. Um, are you familiar with Amnesia Fortnite? Um, I am. Like, thing? I, know, I know what it is, but I've never played it or anything. So I got the, the vibe, well, it's probably a, a bad analogy anyway, but I got the vibe that they sort of did what Double Fine did for Amnesia Fortnite, where they almost had like several distinct teams where they were like, hey, why don't you design a corridor of areas for Dark Souls, including their plot, and whichever one's the best will just sort of put on top of the others and rearrange everything else to fit it. Because, like, Dark Souls 3 feels like there's, like, three or four distinct game plot lines happening, but not in a clever, like, interlaced way. It just feels like, hey, Profane Capital. Okay, like, this is where the game goes now. It's not, there's not, like, a real satisfying termination to it. Um, which was a problem in, like, you know, Dark Souls 1 has that, where it sort of has those spokes at the end that kind of feel the same to me, that they designed it trying to figure out what they wanted the direction of the game to be, and then just sort of picked one. Um, so I just felt it it felt cludged together at times, um, where they were trying to tell a story, but I couldn't figure out which story they were trying to tell. But not in the same way as of Dark Souls, where it's because it feels hidden. It's because it feels uh, unfinished or muddled. Hmm. Uh, and it's just, it, it sort of frustrated me. I still enjoyed it. I really like playing Dark Souls 3. Mechanically, it's very, very satisfying. Um, I actually liked Ashes of Ariandel pretty decently. I don't feel the same on the Ring City so much, but like I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the overt like plot orchestrations it's just the i felt they kind of dropped the ball with the seams that were supposed to stitch areas together um, just yeah it's feel... it's it, it's almost there for me right i think that's the worst mm-hmm. part the worst thing that i could say about it is yeah. that it's almost there um and it yeah. and it could be it could just be slightly better but it's but also game yeah. development super hard <laughs> and maybe i shouldn't like casually oh, yeah. like you know try to the monday morning quarterback the development of this huge world <laughs> that they've managed to do you know what five games with multiple dlc in seven years or so like that's fucking crazy oh yeah 
Um, it it did feel like they were tired to me, and this is I I shouldn't same thing I shouldn't Monday morning quarterback it. Uh, I I did feel like occasionally it was making references to how people treat the game and like the community. I did think there was like a little bit of irony in how they built some of the areas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's almost there. I there are so, like some of the set pieces I think are still incredible. Like the um, like Irithil as a whole super good. Irithil Dungeon, I think, is really, really good because uh, it's from Demon Souls. But, like, yeah, almost there. I also feel like there are weird unfinished bits of it, which, I mean, they keep their unfinished bits frequently, so that's not surprising. Sure. Uh, but it, this is, like, the weirdest thing that stood out to me. Um, and I don't I don't know if I've heard it, other people talking about it a ton, but, like, I think there used to be a Crystal Lizard life cycle in that game. Because what do you mean? So like you know how you have the little crystal lizards. Oh, the progression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like and then actually you seeing the them in the different. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Well, I think there was a teenager at one point because in the um, dragon shrine, mm-hmm. there are those like rolly, fire breathing rock lizard things that are supposed to be like you know I don't know if they're supposed to be baby dragons or what, but they they look exactly like the crystal lizard. They have a big place for a crystal on their back. It's just colored the same as their skin. And so like interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I can I can yeah. definitely see that there there would have been like a, a teenage version of that at some point. Yeah, I have no idea what to do with that information or data. But like <laughs> it was just one of those things where I was like this just really feels like repurposed content. Um which I mean, that's not a bad thing. I just felt that the seams for that were more clear in this game. Yeah. Yeah. What do you uh what are you kind of wanting to see from from software next now that we're kind of past they've kind of said publicly that they're done with the Souls games, which I think is a really good idea, but um I can't yeah. imagine they're going to let go of this this format when it's worked so well for them. Uh, what, what, yeah. what what are you looking forward to seeing from them? Um I I'm just gonna try out whatever they release next i would never have thought bloodborne was going to be as cool as it was uh so i i have faith in them but i just don't want to see direct sequels because i don't think they're good at those i think those have been where they've suffered the most um i think it'll be good to take a break but uh, i'm i'm interested in sort of whatever they have to offer next um, i'll be most interested in their next Soulsborne game but i'll be interested to see if the armored core series does resurge and if so if they're if they are actually bringing like bloodborne type uh, gameplay elements into it cool i'm i'm into that as well (laughs) like i'm 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 just more excited to see what these dudes are going to do under miyazaki's you know guidance as opposed to his direct game directing so i'm I just wish they would hurry up and make an announcement already. Like uh, every single show, uh, it feels like Sony does, or that any any game show that comes out, everyone's like, "It's going to be Demon Souls or Bloodborne 2. It's going to be, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen." Of course, it never does. So it never. Yep. I, I'm just waiting for Dragon Souls. <laughs> sure. Well, if you if you want Dragon Souls, may I suggest Dragon's Dogma for the PS4? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That does already exist, doesn't it? I uh, I literally finished that game like right before this podcast. So <laughs> it's uh, I have not it's, picked it up. It's it it's weird and soulsy in a way that I, I did not expect. So, um, but it's Into also it. different enough to be its own thing and kind of weird. So it's it's interesting. Good. I also feel like. Dragon Souls actually is probably an accurate description of most of Skyrim's main plot. Now that I think of it, uh, that one I'm, I don't know because I don't I don't know oh. much from Skyrim. So you just literally eat Dragon Souls for a solid like 
fifty percent of the main plot. Oh, good. Okay, cool. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, Scott, thank you for uh, guesting with me today, man. I really appreciate it. I know this is kind of early on a Saturday morning, so thank you very much for but, getting up and recording with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. This was awesome. Where can people find you on the internet should they choose to do so? So they can find me on Twitter at WSLafoy. Um, I occasionally post pictures from like side research I do. I mainly do like imagery analysis and uh, a bunch of analysis of uh, weapon systems and whatnot. Okay. Uh, so if they're ever interested, they can find me on Twitter, either putting pictures of that or shit posting jokes about ballistic missiles. Um, I also make a podcast. I don't, but I don't know if that's, should I talk about that sort of oh, thing? Oh, of course. Or is that yeah, not? absolutely. Oh, okay. Uh, I produce the Arms Control Long podcast, which is about like arms control, disarmament, non-proliferation. Uh, we talk a lot about North Korean missiles, uh, nuclear issues, uh, treaty violations. So a lot of like uh, very heavy strategic things that are very stressful and a problem like all the time. But it's a pretty lighthearted podcast. But it's pretty. I think it's really good analysis. So you can sometimes find me there. I'm usually not on it. I'm usually in the the background editing but you're in you're in the studio yeah that is a generous interpretation of my living room um but yeah so you can find me at twitter or uh over at arms control wonk cool i uh i put links to both of those in the show notes so if any, anybody out there listening is curious uh just go check that out and uh, i just pulled up the when i pulled up the link i went ahead and subscribed to the podcast because that sounds really really cool and i am into Ooh. that so uh thanks you again for guesting man this is this has been great yeah, thanks. It was awesome to talk to you. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. Uh, that has links to all of the social media sites that the podcast is on. You probably want to pay attention to the Instagram, Don't Give Up Skellies, because some dude out there is squatting on Don't Give Up Skeleton on Instagram, and it makes me angry. But at <laughs> Don't Give Up Skellies, I put brief clips of every single podcast that comes out so you can get an idea of what you're going to listen to before jumping all in. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for leaving iTunes reviews. We've gotten some good ones in the last couple of weeks, and it really helps us show up in search results and get more people listening to the podcast. So... Once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode. And remember, don't give up, Skeleton. Awesome. Yeah, you came through you came through fine, so I think you should be all good.